there. Um, but uh, we are in the fifth week, I believe, of this series, uh, Beyond Belief. And uh, what we've been doing this entire series is basically uh, talking about the difference between believing Jesus, like, hey, I believe Jesus is true, and I, I, I agree with what he says. But the difference between believing Jesus and following Jesus. We said those things are not the same thing, even though they kind of sound like the same thing, saying believing in Jesus or following Jesus, they're not the same. Uh, believing in him requires nothing from me other than just agreeing with some, some mental ideas, some thoughts about uh, how the world works and who God is and what he has to say, where following Jesus is actually doing the things that Jesus taught people to do. And so we started this series off... Um, Looking at the scripture, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it's, it's a pretty familiar passage if you've been around church at all. And it says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority on heaven and on earth. Therefore, in other words, because I've been to have all this authority, go and make disciples of all nations. And so uh, just to really briefly recap, if you missed any of the, of the series and, and, and the weeks in the past, we've been talking about uh, one mental shift and three key habits, okay? In order for us to go from, from just believing in Jesus to actually following him, and so the, the mental shift was this, that to follow Jesus is to make disciples. In other words, the very first week of the series we talked about, I can't really tell myself and call myself someone who's a follower of Jesus. I'm not doing the things that he taught people to do. And the main thing, the, the biggest mission that Jesus had during his time on earth, the biggest mission that he left his disciples before he went to heaven was to go and make disciples, which is not a word we use a lot. Like when you hear the word disciple in a news article, it's probably about something fairly shady and terroristy and not real good disciples kind of get associated in our culture with, with radical movements. And while I by no means am trying to start my own personal cult, and we're definitely not terrorists, there is something radical about being a follower of Jesus. And so this big mental shift is, if you spent any time in church growing up before, you kind of have this unwritten idea that, that helping people follow Jesus and take big steps and all the real heavy lifting, that's done by the pros. Or, or by the person on the platform, or by the people who are uh, mature, you know, followers of Jesus, the advanced Christians. And the reality is, you look in the Bible, and there's there's no class, there's no category of Christians. There's not okay. Well, if you're if you're you know doing something for God full time and that's your job, that means you're more spiritual than someone who works in a machine shop. No, it says everyone's the same. And so the mental shift is that all of us. We are not only capable of making disciples of Jesus and helping people follow Jesus, but we're actually supposed to be doing that. And so the first key habit was priorities, that if we're going to, to take Jesus' mission seriously, we're going to have to look at what we're doing with our life right now, basically where our time is going, and be willing to, to say, okay, am I, what things may I need to stop in order to start the things that Jesus wants me to do? And we said, I can't follow Jesus without changing my priorities. Second key habit was prayer because we are powerless to do anything. And we, we looked at, hey, I can do nothing that matters without Jesus. In other words, all the things that actually are going to count for the rest of eternity, they happen because of Jesus and me. All the things that, that matter, I can only do with him. So because I can do nothing when that matters without Jesus, nothing else matters like spending time with him. And then we spent a second week on prayer talking about that we need to change the way we pray, pray the way that Jesus taught. That was last week's uh, message. And we said, when we change 
change the way we pray, everything changes. And so um, the whole point of this series was to drive home the fact that if we are going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to take it personally. And so, you know, followers of Jesus, they take it personally. And when you, when you hear that phrase, take it personally, like we, we all know people who take things, many things, way too personally, right? Like you, you try to, to give them a little a help with something at work or you, you give them a tip, hey, here's a faster way to do this. And they take it personally. They're offended because they don't feel like you're trying to help them. They feel like you're trying to criticize them. And so when I say G, followers of Jesus take it personally, what I mean is, it's personal. It's passionate to us. It's not just some kind of distant, far-off belief or theology or religion. And one of the biggest misconceptions about following Jesus is that somehow this is a religious endeavor. And, and one of the reasons that, that God sent his son in the form of Jesus was to basically erase the idea that God wants us to be following a bunch of preset rules and standards and rituals and routines and traditions. Not that any of those are necessarily wrong. Like, I'm sure in your family you have all kinds of wonderful traditions. Maybe around Thanksgiving or Christmas you always have certain meals or you always get together at this time of the year and, and do this trip or this thing. And there's nothing wrong with those. Those are, those are fun and great. Traditions are wonderful. But those traditions aren't what make your family a family, are they? It's the relationships. It's, it's, the, it's the, the personal aspect of it, you know? If you went every year and decided that you're going to go have a meal around Thanksgiving time with a bunch of people that you'd never met in your life, you wouldn't call that a family Thanksgiving. You would just call that a tradition. And so followers of Jesus take it personally, where his mission is our priority, when Jesus' way is our way, when he is the source that we rely on, not just when we've, when we've gotten to a bad situation, but we rely on him for everything, and it's personal, not religious. Now, on the other hand, fans of Jesus take it comfortably. You know, and you think about the word fan, right? Like someone who's a fan. Like I'm, I'm a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I like watching their games. I like to root for them. I hope they do well. I'll follow some of their stuff in the news. But I don't actually help them do anything. Now, I know this may be shocking for some of you who are sports fans. You know, when you watch the race, when you watch the game, no matter what you do or how you cheer, it actually doesn't impact the outcome. And so fans of Jesus are content to be like, yes, I think Jesus is awesome. I'm going to buy Jesus' t-shirt and wear it proudly so everyone knows that I'm on Jesus' team. I am team Jesus, and, and I, I love to hear stories about him, and I love to listen to songs and, and movies that, that reflect him. But when it comes to actually doing something, I'm going to stay right here where it's comfortable. Like, I don't want to rock the boat in my life too much. And so his mission gets my time when it's convenient. I'm going to do the things that, that, that Jesus wants me to do when it works with my schedule. And, and, and I want him, I don't, I don't want to make his way my way, but I would like him to help me with my way. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask for Jesus' assist on the things that are important in my life. And, and I might rely on Jesus, but only after I've tried everything else in a, in a moment of crisis. And so it's religious and sometimes personal. And so um, we talk a lot 
in, in life in church that like beliefs are the most important thing. Like believing the right things is the most important. We've been talking about this a lot. And so if you're in a, if you're in a church setting, a church culture, or a Christian setting, you're going to hear, oh, you need to believe the right things. You need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You need to believe that, that he took the punishment for our sin, for our, our wrongdoing on the cross. We need to believe that, that the Bible is not just another book, but it's God's Word. And we believe that we should, we should give 10% of our income back to the church, etc. And all those things are true things. And I agree with all those statements. But believing those statements doesn't make me a follower of Jesus. It just makes me someone who's a fan of Jesus. And so I, to, to kind of drive this point home, if you have ever had a bad experience with someone who called themselves a Christian or a follower of Jesus, if you've ever had a bad experience at church, I'll bet that had nothing to do with what they believed. It wasn't their faulty beliefs that hurt you. I'll bet the person that hurt you in church probably had great theology, which is a fancy word to say what we believe about God. I'll bet they had the right answers to the Bible test from Sunday school. It wasn't their bad beliefs that hurt you. It was what they did or what they said. They forgot that following Jesus is a personal, personal endeavor. And so... um, Back uh, when Tilly and I uh, were dating and engaged, I was working full-time at, at a church uh, running, running an, uh, an internship program for, for college students. And so um, Tilly and I were, were, were very serious in our relationship, and we're set up to get married. And I didn't know this at the time, but um, during, during our engagement, before the wedding date came up, uh, the guy who was my boss, the, the lead pastor of the church, he had, he had set up a meeting with, with uh, Tilly. And uh, basically the, the, the bottom line of the meeting was, hey, um, I don't think you should marry John. Like, I think that if you do that, it's going to be a big mistake. And the reason I think it's going to be a big mistake is because um, you're going to mess up the ministry and the things that God wants to do in his life if you do this. And, and you know went through all these, these lists and reasons. And, and the message the, was, was pretty clear. You don't fit the profile of a pastor's wife. You know, and, and I wasn't there and I didn't know anything about this. She didn't tell me any of this until years later after we'd been married. But the message was clear. You're not good enough. You, you aren't the, the kind of person who should be you know, doing that. And guess what? This was the lead pastor of the church. And, and I, I still believe 100% to this day that there was nothing wrong with his beliefs or theology. I never, you know, got up and, and, and heard him preach something. And I thought, well, that's heresy. And he needs to be, you know, kicked out of, of, of talking in front of people about God. No, it wasn't that. It was what he did and what he said. And if you've been around life very long at all, you have been hurt by people. Maybe you've been hurt by people who call themselves Christians or in the church. And I want to let you know that the beliefs... They don't, they don't do that. They don't cause that because theology and beliefs and policies, they're not personal, but people are. And, and that's why, you know, don't we all just hate when, you, when you're trying to get something done, whether it's at the, at the DMV or some other business, and you just keep getting the policy answer, well, I'm sorry, sir, that's just our policy. And you're, you're, you know, your face is red because your situation is just so basic and so obvious what should be done in the situation, like just make something happen. I want you to actually do something, and the, the person behind the counter is like, I'm sorry, it's our policy. That's what happens when you take just simple belief in Jesus and it doesn't become personal. 
it becomes easy to be like, okay, well, you aren't the image of what I think someone who's a woman in ministry who should be a pastor's wife should be. So I think this is a big mistake. It's no longer, it's no longer personal. It's just, oh, it's a policy. This, it's religious, right? And how many horrible, terrible, ungodly things have been done in the name of Christianity or some other religion because someone was just following the, the, the routine and the policies. And Jesus never asked his followers to go into all the world and to convince everyone and argue with people until they agree with you and agree with your beliefs. Actually, if you take a, a read at, at the Gospels, which is the, the, the four books of the Bible that, that talk about Jesus' life, you know, you'll see that Jesus' first disciples, disciples, his first disciples and his first followers, they were filled with doubt and believed all kinds of wrong things. Like, I'm not going to go into all of it, but I mean, there, there's, a, there's a point in, in, in Jesus' time on earth. He's got his disciples with him, and, and, and someone like insults and is a little bit mean to Jesus' his disciples. And so two of them are like, you know, Jesus, do you want us to call down lightning and, and, and burn up them and their whole village? I mean, talk about an overreaction. You know what I mean? This is, this is the road rage equivalent of, of, you know, the first century. Like, they were mean, let's, let's fry them with lightning from God. Their beliefs were all messed up. And, and even after Jesus' resurrection, as we've read at the, at the beginning of this series, some of them even doubted that after seeing Jesus alive after he had been executed. And so our mission... If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, our mission is to go into the world and, and, and not to have clever arguments about Jesus, not to come up with a compelling marketing plan for Jesus, not to come up with a social media campaign for Jesus, or not to even know all of the right answers about Jesus. What he said was that the path to being a follower of Jesus always begins with meeting Jesus. And if you read about Jesus' life in the Bible, you see this over and over and over again. People who were nothing like Jesus, who, whose, whose lives didn't look like his, they liked being around him. And Jesus liked being around them. And when they met Jesus, their lives were completely transformed in a beautiful and compassionate way. And if you are following Jesus this morning, if you look back in your life, you'll, you'll notice that all of your biggest steps toward Jesus, all of your biggest steps in progress spiritually, they all happen because somebody was in your life and it was personal. You know, I, I've never once met somebody who's, who's a Christian or follower of Jesus and they're like, well, I was going along in life and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't making good decisions and I was, I was living in, in, in sin and doing all con kinds of things that were contrary to the way that God designed me to live and be. But then one day I took this college course on theology and when I learned the, the, the theology, my life was transformed. No, no one ever says that. No one ever says, man, my life was transformed when I read this four-volume work on, 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 on this, this little detail of religion or theology. No, what you hear is my life was whatever it was, 
And then someone introduced me to Jesus. Someone brought me to a, a, a church gathering, a church service, some kind of event. And I don't know how to explain it, but at that moment, they talk about what they felt. And they talk about weights being lifted off their soul. And they talk about things that, that can't be experienced any other way. Or for some of you, you they, they talk about something that was a li legit, literal miracle. Like I was, I was, you know, I heard in pain, my leg was broke, and God healed it right there in that moment. Or God did something in my heart that, 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 that no one else could do. And all of our big steps toward Jesus happened because of someone who came into our life and introduced us to Jesus. Now think about this for a moment. You know, you, b before deciding to follow Jesus, before deciding to buy in to, to, to Christianity, you may have had many objections and questions and doubts about it, right? Like, like how can a good God allow suffering or injustice or, or allow bad things to happen to, to really great people? Like, that, that's hard, and, and we don't have the answer for that question all the time. Or what about all the hypocrites in the church, people who talk about God's love one way, and then they go out and they're the most unloving people you can imagine? Or, or, or miracles and the wild, crazy stories in the Bible that seem like they're, they're too good to, to be true. Like, okay, Noah's Ark, sure. How exactly did they get T-Rex on the ark? Like, how did they manage to get the dinosaurs on there without sinking the boat? Like, you, there's, there's questions that we don't have answers for. And, and, and things that, that we don't know. And even though you have unanswered questions, unresolved tension, at some point, if you're following Jesus today, you met Jesus and it moved beyond a category into something that was personal. And what happens is when we personally encounter Jesus, we encounter something that for us is undeniable. Like, you can say whatever you want to me. You know, you, someone could come up to me and they could, they could lay out all these stumpers and ask me, well, well, John, what about this with the Bible? Or what about this problem? Or what about, you know, dinosaurs on the ark? Or, or, or you know, whatever kind of gotcha argument you might have. And I may not have an answer for that at all. And none of that will change my mind because what I have personally experienced for me is undeniable. And when unexplainable, things I can't explain, I have no explanation about dinosaurs on the ark. I have no explanation about all the different things that, that, that people have questions about. But when unexplainable and undeniable meet, undeniable wins every time. And, and, and to, to illustrate this, if, if, if you're, I'm, I'm not a big baseball fan, but, but if you've ever watched a professional baseball game, uh, you may have noticed that, that the pitchers are pretty good. They can throw pretty fast. And so they can throw the, throw the ball sometimes up to 90 miles an hour. And, and I didn't want to take a lot of time pulling all the, the stats up, but basically this guy from, from a university did this study on, on the physics of a 90 mile hour fastball and the human reaction time and, and what time it takes to be able to swing a bat and hit hit a, a ball that's going that fast, and basically, with all their math and, and breaking it down, they basically summarized that it's completely impossible to hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball because you know, you've only got like 400 milliseconds from the time the ball leaves the pitcher's hands to when it crosses the plate. It takes like 200 milliseconds for them to decide whether they're going to swing or not, like another 150 to actually make the swing, and then like another 50 for something else. I don't remember. I'm not going to get into all the details, but basically, his, his, his scientific way of saying it's impossible to hit an iron mile fastball. And yet, none of you believe that it's impossible because you've all seen it done. 
If you've ever watched a professional baseball game live or on television, you've seen it. You saw the thing there, they got the little gun that says, ah, that was was 90, that was 95. And he just crushed it in the center field. When unexplainable and undeniable meet, undeniable wins. And so Jesus' original followers, his original disciples, those same guys who doubted and even denied ever meeting Jesus, didn't know who he was, they were transformed not by a compelling argument, but by something that they personally experienced. And they met Jesus. They saw him executed. And then they saw him back to life. Now, all the outlandish claims that Jesus had made earlier carried a lot more weight. Like, I don't know all the answers to all the questions that people have, and I can't explain why, why God allows the suffering that he does in the world. And I can't explain why bad things happen to good people and how some people who are clearly horrible people end up with unimaginable wealth. I can't explain all that. I don't have all my questions answered. But you know what? I'm going to follow the guy who came back from the dead. I'm just going to go with that because I saw that and it was undeniable. And the unexplainable questions and objections, they don't go away, but they just get a whole lot smaller because someone experienced Jesus in a personal way. And so to put it simply, as followers of Jesus, we don't have to convince or argue with anyone. All we need to do is introduce them to Jesus. And this is one of the last things Jesus said in that, that same moment when he tells everyone to go into the world and make all the disciples. Here in Acts, we get, get a little more detail. It says this, this is Jesus talking. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, that is the Spirit of God, comes on you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. And so to, to, to clarify what Jesus meant when he said this, to make disciples, he said, tell people what you have experienced. Tell people about your personal story. Tell people the good news. And if we've read the, the Gospels at all, you hear Jesus talk a lot about the kingdom of God is here. Tell people the, the good news is here. And, and what is that good news? You know, that good news is that God sent his son Jesus into the world, took the punishment for every wrong thing we have ever done, ever will do. And he wants to lead us to have the kind of life that our heavenly father, our creator, always wanted us to have. And so this brings us to our third key habit in this series. We've talked about we have to mentally shift from all of us. Every single follower of Jesus is capable of making disciples. All of us are called that. We've we got to look at our priorities. We've got to change the way we pray, give time to that. And the third one is this. We've got to make it a habit to introduce people to Jesus. Now, I completely understand that that this is something that makes many of us, most of us, uncomfortable and, and can be a challenge because in, in our uh, society, our culture today, we, we, we feel a lot of pressure, right? Like, like it doesn't take much. You, you all know this, but one of the worst things you can do in our current society is tell someone that they're wrong in any possible way. Like to tell someone is wrong is an is a, is a attack against their identity and living their truth and who they are. And so it can feel a little bit like, oh, I don't know if, if I can do that. And I don't know what, what, I, would, what I would say, John, or, or what, if I say, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I say something about God that's, that's not true? Or what if they have a, a question that I don't have an answer for? Or what if I just look like a complete and total weirdo? 
And I, I get that. And, and, and some of you might say, well, listen, John, like that's, you're talking about evangelism and that's not my gifting. I'm not gifted there. I'm, I, I'm a prayer warrior. I do something else. But we have to go back to what Jesus said that we are all called to do this. And look at what it says when, when um, Paul's talking here in Romans. It says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, who calls on Jesus, will be saved. And, and not just saved from, from, from a, a life separated from God for eternity, but, but saved from, from, from the life right now. Like, like none of us can be who we're meant to be. None of us can be who we're called to be, who God designed you to be without God at, at work in our lives. But look what it says here in verse 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And you may say, John, listen, we live in America. Like, everybody knows the name Jesus. Like, it's on everybody's lips. Some of them are saying, we worship you, Jesus. And some of them are saying, Jesus Christ, as a swear word at the end of something frustrating in their lives. But everybody's heard of Jesus. But I want to... I wanna, challenge that thought for a moment. Have they? Have they personally encountered Jesus? Not, not Jesus slapped as, as a bumper sticker on someone's political agenda. Not Jesus slapped on someone's agenda for, for, for their, their, their movement or their business. Not Jesus just slapped onto something else and saying, hey, guess what? I believe in Jesus. He, he endorses what I'm doing. But I mean the actual Jesus. And how can they believe in him? If they've never heard about him, and how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Now, I don't know who's in your circle of influence. I don't know who you live next door to. I don't know who you go to school with. I don't know who you work with. But I do know this. 100% of the people that you and I do not tell about Jesus and do not, do not introduce Jesus to... 100% of those people have no chance of meeting him if we don't invite him. And so it goes on, verse 15 says this, and how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. Now, I don't know about you, but feet are not beautiful. <laughs> but the Bible says that someone who brings that message to somebody else, it is so powerful, so transformative that even their feet are pretty good looking. And so again, your job's not to convince or change anyone. And, and maybe this has been part of the pressure. You feel like, oh man, if I'm going to tell someone about Jesus, I got to make sure I get all the things right and, and, and have the answers and, and not get flustered. Or, your job is not to change anyone. You can't do that. I can't do that. Our only job is to tell your neighbor, your coworker, your friend about Jesus. Our only job is to share. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that shapes and changes hearts and minds. It's the Spirit of God that, that does miracles. And so, so we're going to look at, at, at a, a parable or a story that Jesus told his original followers that tells us what it looks like to go into all the world and make disciples. And so it says this in Luke chapter 8, verse 4 through 8. It says, One day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns near him. 
a farmer went out to plant his seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on, and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks and began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for a lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up along with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil, and this seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times much that has been planted. Now, I've heard this parable before, and... and and, and, and heard this in church, and a lot of times the, the application was, was given, okay, well, make sure you're, you're good seed. You want to be good seed where God can do things in your life. You don't want to be, you know, rocky seed, and they've, they've explained, you know. But I don't think that was the point of this, this, this parable Jesus tells at all. Like, if you think about soil, does it get to decide whether or not it's going to be rocky? Does it get to decide if it's going to be fertile? Like soil doesn't get a choice. And in, and in Jesus' day, you know, when they farmed, this is a little contrary to us. We would think, okay, well, if I'm going to go out and scatter seed, I'm going to go find soil that's good and just put the seed there. I'm not going to bother scattering seed anywhere else. But in Jesus' day, that wasn't how farming worked. You had a field and you know what you did? You just scattered a lot of seed. And you would find out after the fact where the really good soil was at. And, and, and instead of like modern farming, they're going to plow first, right? They're going to dig holes, dig, dig rows, put the seed in, and then scatter the seed. Well, in Jesus' day, they would scatter the seed first and let it work its way down the ground. Because, hey, guess what? They didn't have a bunch of tractor equipment and, and all these, these tools. You're talking about like 2,000 years ago. And so everyone who's hearing Jesus is getting the point of this parable, they, they can see it because they were, they, were, they were in a culture where farming was the primary industry and everything worked around that. And so the point is not, how can I figure out what people around me are good soil? The point is this. You have to scatter a lot of seed to see results. Now, as I shared with you guys a couple of weeks ago with, with the tomato plant, like I'm not green thumb. I don't plant anything you know, I eat things, but I don't, I don't plant them. But I, I think I know enough, and I think all of you know enough, that I went out and said, hey, listen, this year, you know, I, 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 I'm, going to, I'm going to plant some corn and, and, and have some fresh corn in our house. And so I'm going to go out to the store, and I'm going to buy one seed and put that in the ground. Now, you all kind of know where I'm going with this, right? Like no one would decide that they were going to do something and just one single seed in the ground and I'm, I expect to see a field full of corn come fall. We wouldn't think that. We know that's ridiculous, but we have a tendency to do this when it comes to talking with others about Jesus. Like how often are we making that a habit in our lives? And we don't know what seed is going to lead to something undeniable in someone's lives? We don't know what God has been doing in people's hearts and minds behind the scenes. We can't change lives. Our only role, our only job is to scatter seed. And in this case, seed is telling other people about Jesus. Sowing that, that good news. And we don't know when that seed is going to fall and, and do something that's undeniable in someone's life. That's, that's just not something we're in a position to, to have that insight. 
And so the point is we have to be people who are scattering seed regularly. And, and, and can I be just completely and totally honest with you? As I prepared for this, this is really convicting to me as well because, you know, how many of us have shared about Jesus with someone this week personally? And so I've said this to you before. What I do up here on the stage, that doesn't count, right? This is like a manufactured environment. I'm here. You're sitting in chairs. I get to talk about Jesus. That doesn't count as sharing the gospel. I'm talking about sharing it with someone one-on-one at the, at, the, at the break room, wherever you may be, in a classroom between classes, but talking about him. And if we're going to take Jesus personally, man, it's... It's hard for me to say, yeah, Jesus is the most important thing in my life. And I don't ever hardly talk about him to other people. That's not how it works, right? You, you tell other people about other important things in your lives, you know? We talk, talk to people about our, our kids or what's going on. There's all kinds of things that we just naturally share. You shared something that was important to you, passionate with you, with someone's a complete stranger. You may have had a hobby, been standing in line at Walmart, noticed someone in the, in the, in the, in the, in the line ahead of you at the checkout, you know, holding a computer part. And you're like, hey, what you, what you doing with your computer? I like doing stuff with my computer. It's, it's a passion, and you get talking about it. And so when we talk about telling people about Jesus. Listen, I want to take all the pressure off. And God wants to take all the pressure off. Remember, your job's not to change anyone's heart or mind at all. It's as simple as you and I just telling our story. Telling our story. And it's as simple as I'm just break it down into three simple steps. What was your life like before you met Jesus? You don't have to have any, 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 you don't have to make up some special story. You don't have to be like, look, you know, I was, I was about ready to go to prison, convicted of murdering three people. Like, don't, you don't need to lie, but whatever was going on in your life, remember what your life was like before you encountered Jesus. And so, you know, you may have a story before you ever met Jesus or heard his name and like my, 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 I was, I was you know, depressed and sad or I was struggling with these things and life didn't have meaning or whatever it is. But just process that for a moment. What, your, what was your life like before meeting Jesus? And if you're like me and you've, you've spent your entire life around church and hearing the gospel, you know, and you're still thinking about it. Well, at one point in my life, Jesus was just part of the tradition of the family I grew up in. We went to church every Sunday, and it was something we did, and it wasn't bad or awful, but it wasn't personal. It was just who we were. You know, just the same as if, if I said, well, we grew up when we were, we were, you know, West Virginia Mountaineer fans and we all had the gear and we, we went to the games and we were fans, but it was just a routine. It was just a tradition. But then one day you talk about how you met Jesus, what happened, where, where things shifted, where it became real to you. And you talk about what happened. And then the, the, the third step's really simple. What is your life like now compared to what it was like before Jesus? And all you're doing is you are sharing your story with someone and telling them what Jesus has done in your life. And, and here's where it's really important. This is more important to do to tell your story than, than, to, than to try to, to, to make some kind of argument or convince someone or get in some kind of debate. Because let's, let's be honest, if you've ever been in any kind of debate situation where you're talking with someone back and forth and it could be about whatever, it could be about you know Jesus, it could be about some other religion, it could be about politics. 
Have you ever gotten to the end of, of, of arguing with someone and at the end of it, they're like, well, you know what? Now that you've made so many good points, I think you're right. Now I'm going to change my entire position. You're right. Democrats are the answer for our country. You're right. Republicans are the answer for our country. No one ever does that, right? You just argue and you, at the end of the day, like, like you just walk away from each other. But when we tell our story of what Jesus has done for us personally, unexplainable and undeniable meet and undeniable wins. And you say, John, well, they not, may not consider that undeniable. That's okay. You've done your part and you have, you've shared the good news with someone. You have shared about Jesus. And when, then at that point, the ball's in the Holy Spirit's court. The ball is in God's court and he's going to do what he's going to do. And we have no idea whether we're putting that seed at that moment on fertile soil that's going to grow up and, and produce all these kinds of results. We don't know if it's on rocky soil or whatever, but that's not our job. And so I want to, as, 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 we, as we wrap up, I want to ask Eli to, to put on some, uh, some music because I want to take a time to, to invite God's spirit because, okay, I know I've, I've shared all this stuff and it's simple, one, two, three, what was my like before Jesus, what was it, how did I meet him and then what's it like after and that's all well and good. But God isn't asking you to do this on your own, in your own strength. I want to go back to one of the verses we first looked at this morning, Acts 1, 8. This is Jesus talking again. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Why do you need power? Well, if you, if you do even just a casual reading of the rest of the book of Acts, which, which is called Acts because it's the Acts of Jesus' original followers. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. They go around and some pretty amazing stuff keeps happening around them. Not because they're so amazing, because if you read the Gospels, you see these guys were not amazing. They made all kinds of dumb things, said dumb things, did dumb things, denied Jesus, doubted Jesus' resurrection, all kinds of things. But going forward in the book of Acts, you see them do miraculous things things and, and, and you see people healed and, and, and you see lives transformed and it had nothing to do with them it had to do with God in them and so I want to I want to take a moment here and we're gonna gonna pray and I just want to invite God's spirit to be here and to fill us and to speak to us because without him we can't do anything that matters so would you just kind of get into a posture of prayer with me? And if, if you would say this morning, John, I, I, I need and I want God's Spirit to fill me fresh and anew this morning, I want to ask you to, to, to give a response. Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you for you. And you say, you know, well, John, I, I've, I've done this before. Great. How fresh is that? Is it, is it, is it fresh in you where you're, you're experiencing God's power in your life and you're having the opportunity to share with, with people all the time? You're seeing God's activity, the, the fruit of God in our lives. Remember we talked about, about fruit earlier in the series that we've got to be staying connected with Jesus. Are we seeing that this morning? 
And so if you have your, your, your hand raised up, I just want to invite you to just, just pray along with me. Say, Holy Spirit, come. I want more of you in my life. Holy Spirit, fill us this morning because we can't do anything without you. And we need your power at work in our lives because without it, God, we're just, we're just people talking about another religion. We're just people talking about another set of beliefs. Holy Spirit, come and make it personal for us this morning. Thank you, God. Holy Spirit, we need you in our lives. We need to hear your voice speaking to us more clearly. So open up our ears to what you have to say to us, not just in moments like this, but throughout our every regular day routines. Because your, your word, the Bible says you want to do amazing things in us through us and around us. And Jesus, you've, you've asked us and commanded us to prioritize telling people about you because that's where discipleship starts. We can't, we can't help other people become followers of you without telling them about you. And God, we know that the, that's not gonna happen with, with an argument or an event or some clever thing, but it will happen when it becomes personal. So Holy Spirit, would you make it personal in every one of our hearts and souls? We give you permission to have your way. Have your way, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So. Um, before before we wrap up and, and get out of here, and I give you guys some 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 directions on on stuff for the the cookout later. Um, next week is the fifth Sunday in July, and what we have committed to do at Real Life Vineyard is to take every Sunday with five months in it, and we're going to take that fifth Sunday and, and do what we're going to call Discovery Group Sunday. So I've talked a little bit about Discovery Groups in the past. It is a simple and yet effective way to introduce people to the Bible. And, and so, so we, when we do this, it's, it's not, um, no one needs to come up with the right answers. No one needs to, to have anything prepared. We're just getting people together and inviting them to read a passage of scripture together and let God speak to them personally. And so we're gonna, we're gonna do that next week. Next week, we're gonna come in here, we're gonna have worship like we always do, but then instead of me getting up here and yapping at you guys for 35 minutes, we're going to, to break into, into groups and we're gonna show you guys exactly what it looks like to be in a, a discovery group. And the great thing about a discovery group is that literally anyone, anyone can facilitate a discovery group. I mean, you, you, can, you can have someone facilitate a discovery group who does not yet believe in Jesus. And, that, and that's because no one's coming into the group and saying, here are the right answers about God. Here's what you should believe. The point of a discovery group is for people to discover 
for themselves what the Bible has to say and how that might apply to their life. And it gives the Holy Spirit an opportunity to speak to people. And so for, for next week, if you, if you want, if, I know some of you guys are like, I, I need to be prepared for things like this, John. I'm not, I'm not spur of the moment person. So listen, next week, this is the passage of scripture we're gonna, we're gonna look at and read when we break into discovery groups. It's John chapter six, verses 44 and 45. Super short, super simple. And so we're going to model this for you guys next week because coming up here um, in, in, in late August, September, we're going to be offering uh, a discovery group training for anybody that wants to, to take that step and, and, and step out and lead, uh, leads the wrong word, facilitate a discovery group, right? So I've challenged you this week, you know, to, to, to make scattering seed, telling people about Jesus, a regular habit in your lives. Not something we just do occasionally. And, and there's, there's a lot of ways to do that. Of course, you can absolutely, you can invite people to come to Real Life in your church. We would love for as many people as possible to come in here and, and, and hear what God is doing and, and hear God's word here in the service. And that's a great way that we can scatter seed, but also just telling your story. It's way more powerful than just inviting people to church. I mean, think about it. If someone came up to you uh, let's say later today and, and invited you to their lions club, how likely would you be to go? You'd be like, well, I don't even really know what that's about. Why would I, why, why would I go to that? Well, that's, that's what many people who, who have, have not been exposed to, to, to church or gospel life before. That's how they see church. Like why, why would I go to something like that? I don't even understand, but they'll hear your story. And, and once people hear about Jesus, you'll be able to know, and we'll talk about this, this more later on, you'll be able to, 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 to discern and tell, is this something where God, you can see, is God doing something in this person's life? Or like, are they engaged? Or are they interested? Or do you like tell them, you know, your story about life transformation and Jesus? And they're like, that's great. I'm going to go to my car now. You'll, you'll know. And when, when, when there's interest there, then you can take the step to invite them. Hey, would you be open? Would you want to learn more about what the Bible might have to say, what God might have to say to you? And those opportunities are where we begin Discover Group. So next Sunday, we're going to model that for you guys so you can see what that's like. You can see how simple it is and, and how literally anyone can do it because that's our whole whole job, our whole point in starting Real Life in Your Church was not to just start another gathering of Christians where we can get together and sing our songs and talk about our Bible, but is to equip you to do the things that Jesus has told us every follower is supposed to do, chiefly to make his mission of discipleship a priority in our lives. And so we're, my job as, as the lead pastor of this church is not to get you to, 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 to help people you know, come and, and, and hear how awesome I am, because man, aren't I great at talking, but it's to equip you to live out Jesus best in your Monday through Saturday life. So with all that said, right after we get things torn down and clean up here, we're going to be at our house. We would love for all of you guys to come and hang out.